really interesting because the property had been rehabbed in 2015. So it was pretty much a uh, limited work deal. I'll say it was a no work, but it was limited work deal. Of course, tenants had been in the property for about two years and there was some wear and tear, but for the majority, there it, was a, it wasn't a construction uh, loan or anything like that. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the pleasure of having David Evans with me today. David, are you up in, like, Chicago? Yeah. Oh, man, how are things up there in that part of the world? Quiet right now compared to normal. Great. Great, great. So if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? They can contact with me through two ways. They can get contact with me through my cell phone, 773-678. 6215 and then also my email address which is david at investment property advisor group.com investment advisor property group.com baby investment pro- i'm sorry investment property advisor group.com got it got it we'll get that linked up in the show notes and so you know now that we've got the important stuff out the way let's start talking about you and your background man how'd you get into real estate and how'd you get into this eight unit so um, I'll give you the fast story of it. Uh, up until 2014, I was working on my master's in uh, teaching secondary ed, uh, high school English. I got all the way through the end of the program and decided this wasn't for me. So 2014, I got my real estate license. Uh, focus was more on the residential real estate side for about five of those years. And within the last year, my focus has been more on the commercial side, specifically multifamily. So in Chicago, I help people, uh, I guess, buy apartment buildings, um, primarily in the Chicagoland South Market. In 2017, I became a landlord myself. I own an eight-unit apartment building um, on the south side of Chicago, which up until recently, I was actively involved in the management thereof. Wow. So what made you transition from the education stuff to real estate? Yeah. So, um, well, ultimately, I learned, I guess, the the structure of my uh, graduate course program was the student teaching aspect didn't occur to the end. So and then there was like limited classroom management training, which tends to be one of the key uh, factors of being able to teach not even the content as much as it is, but the classroom management aspect. So I didn't find out that that wasn't my strong point pretty much to the very end of my program because my student teaching didn't occur to the very end of my program. Got it. It's good that you were able to identify that and then pivot and move into something you're more passionate about. Yeah. Let's talk about your your deal, man. You've taken down an eight unit up there, right? Yeah. So how did you source that deal? So for approximately about a year prior, uh, I was putting bids on properties in, this, in the Chicago South Market. We were getting out bid. 2016 is really about when the market started to heat up up here. And ultimately, my lender came to me with this deal. He said he had another client who ultimately needed to dissolve their LLC. And would I be interested in taking a look at it and potentially putting an offer in? I said yes. Um, 
it took a little bit longer to close, oddly and strangely enough, being that the deal was already in-house, but it, it, for whatever reason, it came out to like a seven-month period of close. Um, not necessarily to anything on my end, but for whatever reason, my lender just was a little bit slow about closing the process. And I think the uh, seller also had some issues where he had to uh, dissolve his LLC um, prior to getting to that, to the closing point. Whoa, seven years, seven months, seven months. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. It's, it's, it's really interesting because the property had been rehabbed in 2015. So it was pretty much a a limited work deal. I'll say it was a no work, but it was limited work deal. Of course, tenants had been in the property for about two years and there was some wear and tear, but for the majority there, it was a, it wasn't a construction uh, loan or anything like that. The property had already been rehabbed a few years prior. So what was your business plan with the one? Just buying a turnkey and just letting it flow or you had some opportunity for appreciation? So ultimately when I bought the property, there were two units vacant. Um, there were basement units, um, which I come to learn out later that basement units can be a little bit challenging in leasing. Um, so when I bought the property, we had a property uh, manager, uh, solo property manager involved. He was very hands-on. Unfortunately, he did not know how to do bookkeeping. And I had a partner um, who should have been a limited partner, but ended up more a GP. I didn't know, I wasn't educated to waterfall and structuring deals um, at that point. So he pretty much had to say of saying, we need to get rid of this person. We therefore went to a full service property management company that was not did not work our specific location um, and for a period of the better part of a year, they didn't come out. Um, ultimately, the face of the property management company was a their maintenance man. And also, so we went from having a performing asset within, you know, less than a year to having an asset where we had evictions, where we had tenant turnover, things along that sort, because there was no face of the property management company. So in October 2018, I pretty much took over the reins. Um, At this time, I was overseeing evictions. I was overseeing renovation of units where there had been tenant turnover, sometimes uh, assisting with that uh, clean out from tenant turnover. And then, like I said, also, you know, overseeing the repairs for the vacant units and the evicted units. Whoa. Did you go into this wanting to be a property manager? No, no, no. So ultimately what happened was the reason why it was so long to get a uh, substitute property manager after property manager number two was because my uh, partner wanted to be, I guess, involved in the vetting process, even though he had pretty much proven that he wasn't the best chooser of property management companies. He literally pulled this one out of the phone book. I think he just started cold calling property management companies. Um, and so which, which is why it took us so long to get to this point where we got to property manager number three. So in the interim, while we were looking for property manager number three, yeah, I was heavily involved in the, uh, management, um, which we didn't get another property manager until March, April of last year. Got it. And so, I mean, I think that's a really important thing for the listeners to take away from this one is. You know, if you fire your property manager, you don't have somebody else to take over. It comes back to you as an owner to make sure that the property is taken care of. So, I mean, did you learn any hard lessons while you were managing the property? Oh, yeah, um, plenty. I mean, ultimately, I think a lot of the hard lessons didn't come from 
the I won't say the necessarily managing a property as much as it is when choosing the right property management company um, prior to moving forward with them and to heavily vet them in certain questions you should ask them. You should have asked them how many properties they already actively manage in the, in the area. Um, and then also to, you know, make sure that they're physically located in the area because if an emergency happens, then you are, you know, less time to dispatch, uh, you know, somebody out, a service provider out there for them. And ultimately also learned about the importance of the economy of scale. Um, you know, I understand, like, especially in my business as a broker, I talk to a lot of owners. So, you know, and most people I talk to are in the business of actually acquiring more units and they fall in either one or two camps. They fall in the camp was find me something distressed that's small, uh, find me a distressed six flat. And unfortunately in this market pre COVID that those opportunities have pretty much dried up. And then the other camp fall into, fell into the owners that say, I'm looking to expand. I'm looking for 50, 60, 70 units. And that's the camp really where I'm focusing a lot more of my, you know, business in as far as prospecting in, because I finally, I've learned the economies of scale through talking to a lot of them, just, you know, the, the ability to be able to have full service management and not to be involved. And as most property management companies, as I learned later, um, do not want you unless you have 20 units and the ones that will take you are not always forthcoming about their involvement. So even after having a property management company for a year, it still required me to be involved to a certain extent as a way to mitigate costs because a property management company does not make their, you know, income based upon the uh, property management fee, the 8% or whatever, it was seven, six, seven, eight percent they charge you based upon what market you're in. They really make their income based upon repairs. And if you have a smaller asset, they cannot make money off of repairs. Um, to go back to my property manager number two, when they were handling it, they were making money off of repairs to, you know, but that was the extent of it. So if it cost $20 to put a light bulb in, they were charging me $40 because that's how they make their money. Uh, those were things that I wasn't, you know, aware of and to kind of mitigate costs, which is another reason why I got involved was to kind of mitigate costs for repairs um, to oversee the repairs being done or to dispatch a, you know, a maintenance man um, that I had chosen instead of using their, theirs will be at a, a upcharge. Absolutely upcharge every time somebody goes out. And so when you think about the contract that you signed with the property manager, were there things that you would have negotiated or written different in that agreement? No, I think I would have just moved fa faster with firing them. I didn't, so uh, terminating the relationship. We didn't terminate the relationship till we had another property management company. So in fact, they were still in force. They were still in force because we didn't want to uh, interrupt the uh, expense reports, um, you know, which is part of the reason why, you know, I guess we kept them in place until we found another property management company to substitute. That being said, I was still involved in a lot of the heavy lifting that traditionally you would consider to be the responsibility of a property management company. What's up guys, it's your host Jerome. I just wanna let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now let's get back to the episode. I've got one of those horror stories except when I into my relationship with my property manager. I had a clause in my contract that uh, provided that 
I had to pay the entire year worth of uh, fee, even if we terminated. And they exercised that clause and took a whole quarter's worth of fees after they were terminated. So uh, you got to be really careful with the contracts that you sign with folks, even if you think you know them pretty well. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, also, I think that's one place where we were successful as a partner. Actually, we took our, the platform for our property management agreement from another property management company and we just modified it. So in any, you know, agreement that we have property management with I, the three of our property managers, we always made sure that there was just a 30 day notice uh, termination clause in those agreements. Um, you know, so if things weren't working out, we could move forward and, you know, terminate the relationship. The downfall of that is that we didn't exercise that that option soon enough in a couple of cases, which cost us uh, down the line. Got it. So were you able to quantify the financial impact from having to change these property managers? Did you have excessive vacancy or a higher expenses or anything that, uh, you know, was negative impact for you guys? So, yeah, the vacancy was a key thing. And I think that one thing that I would advise all investors to do in their market is to see, to learn, get gain as much insights as possible to what tenants are comfortable paying. So my building is separate furniture, separate hot water tanks. And as an investor, that is an attractive thing because it keeps your expenses low. However, in the market where I own, uh, you know, it's a more attractive thing to have, you know, heat uh, supplied by the building. Uh, boiler-based heat. That's one thing that I didn't know. And then second, I didn't know that renting basement apartment built basement units out can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. So when you do rent them out or order to rent them out, sometimes you may have to go to voucher-based programs um, to rent those basement units out versus, uh, you know, getting a market rate tenant in those basement units. So we did have issues with vacancy, especially in the uh, basement units, because the tenant, I guess the tenant base or the applicant base in our area did not worth a fan of basement units. So what did you do from a process standpoint to correct the issue? Cause I mean, the basement units a basement unit, you didn't sell out the property. Did you just do a reduced rent? Did that just kill your pro forma? Like how'd you guys fix that? So we fixed it by effectively going to um, the uh, voucher based program applicants. And not the traditional one, the largest one most people know about is probably CHA, Chicago Housing Association. But there was a program called uh, Threshold, Arch Thresholds, which is geared towards tenants who are, has issues with homelessness and substance abuse. So we were able to put them in those, in those units. And that's the way we were able to uh, occupy those units. So you just have to become kind of creative with your patron, um, your uh, so to speak, when you are facing issues with vacancy. You do research on as many, you know, uh, voucher-based programs as possible and apply to all of those programs or to reach out to all of those programs to see if they have, you know, tenants who are looking for units in your area. Uh, if you can't get tenants through traditional market rate or even through uh, the primary voucher-based program, whichever may be in your community. And so are you able to get full market rent with those programs or is they discounted? No. So the one in IM is pretty much the, the full market rate of what we were marketing the units at. I, I think the, the only difference is that we're responsible for the utilities in those units versus the other ones where we're not. Got it. Got it. Uh, so going forward, you know, how will you keep these issues from happening again? 
Um, it just pretty much means to reach out to many uh, to many voucher-based programs as possible. You know, not to just rely on the um, you know market rate tenant to be available or you know CHA tenant to be available. It's to reach out to all of the voucher-based programs and to see if they you know have you know applicants who are in need of housing and to re you know to connect with them. Got it, man. So, you know, as we wrap up, you know, what are some words of wisdom that you give the listeners? Words of wisdom that I would give the listeners um, is ultimately to one, be very careful how you choose partners. Uh, make sure that you and your partner have a clear role, um, understanding of your roles and responsibilities. And just because someone may put equal money into a deal does not necessarily mean that they are a GP uh, make sure that they understand that, you know, they're an LP or if you're, if you're the one doing most of the heavy lifting. Uh, secondly, when a relationship is not working with a property management company, uh, don't be hesitant to terminate the relationship. Uh, it will save you lots of money later. And three, to take action swiftly when you do have vacant units because that is lost income. And ultimately to reach out and to research as many, uh, you know, housing programs that are in your area. Uh, who have it, who has uh, applicants who need some housing to keep your units full. Beautiful. Thank you, David, for sharing that wisdom with the listeners, man. You, you're dealing with a pretty nice asset class. I think there's a ton of opportunity in that, you know, 10, eight to 50 unit space. And, you know, if you guys are going to keep doing the property management, you might be the go-to choice for workforce housing at that unit size, man. So, um, I know you've got a new person in place, but you may want to buy that company and build out your own business because it's, I just talked to a guy yesterday who's managing uh, 26,000 units um, for workforce housing across Texas and Oklahoma. So just uh, keep that in the back of your mind as you go through. I think property management is the biggest issue that most investors are dealing with. Um, they're so critical in finding uh, the property managers that can actually execute the business plan is is really rare. So kudos to you for stepping in and taking the reins over, getting your property through and continuing to fight the good fight, man. At the end of the day, residents are the people who suffer the most when property managers don't do what they're supposed to do. Agreed. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.